0: So today we're continuing to look at resurrection power. And today's uh, focus is going to be resurrection power in our expectations. So last couple of weeks we looked at resurrection power in our doubt. And then we looked at resurrection power in our failures. And now we're going to look at resurrection power in our expectations. Um, Today's two points are expectations misaligned... And expectations realigned. And what we have today is a story of basically two sad, cynical disciples walking seven miles to a place called Emmaus. And as they're walking there, they're discussing the great things that's taken place. The resurrection of Jesus is what they're talking about. And Jesus appears to them on this little journey and they don't recognize him. They have no idea who he is uh, because their expectations are misaligned. And Jesus very graciously realigns those expectations. And that's what he does not only for those people, but you see, we are those people. So he does that for you and I uh, as well. You may have seen uh, Rembrandt's painting Christ at Emmaus in 1648. And what I love about this depiction of these two disciples is not that they're afraid when they've recognized Jesus. They don't freak out. Um, You see them amazed. You see them intrigued. And so that's what happens um, as Jesus is revealing himself during the season of Easter, during these post-resurrection appearances. He's not going around saying boo. To people, hoping to frighten people, but he really is saying, Peace be with you. I'm here to reaffirm your faith. Why do we have post resurrection appearances? Jesus wants to reaffirm your faith. Jesus wants to reestablish your faith, especially when your expectations are misaligned. So uh, let's read our passage here. Found in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13 and concluding verse. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped And the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray again. Father, we pray right now that you would indeed be gracious to give us faith, trust, especially when we don't recognize you especially when our expectations about you are misaligned. We pray for your grace. And we pray that you would give us faith to follow you and then to go and tell others about you, Lord Jesus. We pray. Amen. Expectations misaligned. If we're looking at the story here, verse 21. You, you, you saw it there with me. We had hoped that this person, Jesus, was going to be the Redeemer That was our hope. We were banking it all. What happened? Where is this person? The word "redeem" simply means to release from slavery. And they're referring to Roman slavery. They're referring to the oppression that they were all experiencing. We were hoping that this one would be a champion for us. And how this relates to you and me at this point is minding your expectations of Jesus to do something for us in a way that we think ought to be done In a time frame, we ought to think it ought to be done. And that is exactly their misguided expectations of Jesus. Rather, Jesus is coming to them and Jesus is coming to you to address a much bigger slavery problem. He's talking about enslavement to sin. He's talking about something that nothing less than his resurrection can take care of and redeem us from that. Our expectations, I'll admit, I'm in this one. Our expectations are on my circumstance right now. What is Jesus going to do about this moment right now in time? And my expectations fail to see the bigger picture, the longer arc of the redemptive historical narrative, the story, the meta-narrative, we say, the story that I'm in. And yet my expectations are, hey, but what about this story right here? What about the things I can see? Lord Jesus, where are you? Please show up. Jesus frames his existence, rather, as God's plan to restore not just my problems and not just my circumstances, but the world's problems, the world's chaos, the world's sin, and to recreate all of that that's what Jesus is doing. Our expectation is for God to fix something in, in my way, in my timing, and I end up, start, I start using Jesus. I don't know if your prayer life gets like this sometimes, but a prayer life can sound something like uh, just a list of to-dos that I really need God to do. Any, any of you, does that sound familiar to anyone? I'm just trying to be honest and real. Uh, we, we, we miss the praising God section of our prayer life. We miss the... God, you're wonderful because, and sometimes it ends up being, uh, God, I need you to do this, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do it this way and at this timing. Um, I'm just trying to say we are those people. That's us. It's not just Cleopas in this passage, but you and I both have misguided expectations of Jesus. And what I want to focus on here is in verse 25 to 32, What Jesus does about that when he knows that those are our misguided expectations? Sarcastic question, but does Jesus say, fix your expectations, and then I'll get close to you. I'll visit you on the road to Emmaus once you get your thinking correct, and you put all the theological things in its correct order, and you stop having any doubts about me. Then I'll come and draw close to you. The answer real quickly is, of course, not. Jesus, notice his gentleness. Notice in verse 15, uh, as we were reading it, it said, while they're walking. I mean, that's a huge word there, while. It's not after they fixed themselves or after they got their thinking correct or after they weren't dealing with anything emotional or any doubt. Then Jesus appeared. No, it's while they were walking. And what that means is you have a road to Emmaus, I have a road to Emmaus, It's where you go, it's where I go when you're processing your faith. That's what this is about. That's who these people are. That's who you and I are. And Jesus says, while you're going through that, great. I come right alongside you. I walk with you. And I want to talk to you in this. Verse 25, even him saying, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So his, and I, rather us looking at this story and seeing that, they're, that outwardly they don't recognize Jesus, that's mirroring an inward heart that's not believing in Jesus. That's what's really going on. It's not that Jesus put on a fake beard or Jesus changed his skin tone or wore a wig or anything, nothing like that. It's not an outward appearance thing. It's, it's something deeper than that. Jesus is more concerned that there's some Not recognizing who he really is. Slow of heart. Lack of belief is what he's getting after. And um, as we knew Jesus would do, Jesus doesn't just cut and run. He doesn't just say, oh, I'll come back when you get it all together. Um, Text me when your faith is in order. I'll come back and we'll carry on with our relationship. No, he, he mentions very slowly with them a Bible study. Isn't it, I mean, we expected this of Jesus, right? We, we, were, we knew it was Jesus. We knew he was going to bring a Bible study to them, and he does it in verse 27. He takes them back. I love this about Jesus. He embraces your feelings. He embraces your doubt. He embraces your intellectual issues with faith. And then he takes you to Scripture. Not to shame you, but he wants to orient you and realign you to the story and truth. And truth. It's just truth. Verse twenty-seven. And beginning, and again, you got to imagine this. You got to imagine walking those seven miles. What is that? A couple hours journey, and you and your best friend. I mean, you're really discussing this thing. Uh, and by the way, didn't you love the humor? I lo- the, the Bible's got the Bible's got great humor in it. Did you notice it uh, there uh, in verse eighteen, where Cleopas asks Jesus, "Have you been under a rock?" Like. <laughs> Are you the only one around here that doesn't know the, the, the news? Like, where have you been? He's interacting with Jesus in that way. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty funny. And yet again, Jesus patiently kind of plays along with it. What news are you talking about? Jesus is playful. He, he's okay. He, he actually likes your discovery process. I find that very energizing. I find that very attractive for a, for a curious person, intellectual, intellectually stimulated and emotionally stimulated like myself. I mean, but imagine, I want you to place yourself in that story that he takes these disciples back to the beginning with Moses and all the prophets and he interprets to them the scriptures concerning himself. Oh God, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that moment when I'm with Jesus in eternity. And I get to ask all my questions. And I, don't, and I don't get little pat quick answers for them. But I get a long discussion. I get someone who really knows what they're talking about. Jesus comes with a Bible about a Bible study and he gives them an interpretive key to the Bible study. And the interpretive key is himself. He says he interprets the scriptures concerning himself. I don't know if you were taught to read the Bible in that way, that the Bible's all about Jesus or not. Um, one way of reading the Bible is that our expectations would be that the Bible's really all about me. It's, it's about me. Example would be the story of David and Goliath. You read such a story with the lens of the Bible is about me, and as you're reading it, you see that David's up against unimaginable obstacles. And you're thinking, wow, David, like he kicks butt, man, so I'm supposed to like rise up, get strong, and do it. And I can do it. And I will do it. And that creates a very moralistic, um, self-centered, self-relying approach to religion and towards Christianity. And the good news is that's not the way the Bible is meant to be read, but rather Jesus Uh, Jesus is the center of this story. And so as we read the very same story, we begin to see David as a representative for people who couldn't fight, who wouldn't fight. We are those people. We need a representative. We need a champion. And Jesus is that champion. Jesus is the one fighting for you. Jesus is your defender. Jesus is the one who's procuring enough righteousness for you so that you can be saved. It's not up to you. It's all by grace. That's the summary that Jesus is giving them in this interpretive key. Hey, all the prophets that spoke about me, all the Psalms that talked about me, it's all about me and grace. The second thing here that we'll discuss is the the expectations realigned. Verse 29 they urge this person. They still don't know it's Jesus, but, boy, they're having a really good time with this person who really seems to know the scriptures. <laughs> I mean, this, this person's taking them to school. This person, uh, in my guesstimation, is, is rolling out uh, Hebrew, Greek, and, I mean, just going crazy. I want to be there. I want to get all I can get, you know, and... Um, Verse 29, they urged him strongly. They stay with us, they say. I mean, can't you just hear the, it's almost pitiful. (laughs) Stay with us. Give us more. And he went in and he, well, again, he's playful. He he kind of acts like he's going to keep going, you know, somewhere else on the journey. But yet he does stay with them. He goes in with them. And I love verse 30. When Jesus was at table with them, he took bread. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it to him. Oh, my goodness, there's some familiarity going on. We've been with this person, and oh, he's doing the bread thing again. There's the bread and the wine. He's breaking. We've, we know this cadence. We know. They recognize him. They recognize him. And uh, basically, the, the, the meal tells the entire story. That's why we celebrate it every week. Communion is a big deal. It's the narrative. It's summed up in the communion meal. Meal is about being welcomed. It's about being accepted and loved. Not because of what you've done, either good or bad, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And so as he opens up the scriptures to them, don't you think he took them back to Genesis where the Bible actually starts with a meal? starts with a meal. They saw fruit that was beautiful, that was very pleasing to the eye that they must have, and they, we being represented there, they chose their own way. That's the very first meal. Interesting how that happens there. He takes them through the prophets. Remember uh, Isaiah writing 700 years plus before Jesus even comes into the picture, where the prophet Isaiah says, there will come a time whenever you are invited, come and buy wine. Come and buy milk and buy bread without money. <laughs> Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of all of that. He's going to fill you and it's not going to take money. For you to get the fulfillment that your soul has always longed for. And then, of course, the New Testament meal. They would have remembered all of those times that they would have been with Christ. And then upon Christ's return... We don't know when that is. We wait for it. Christ will return, and the last book of the Bible depicts and paints quite beautifully a feast. Nothing less than another meal. I love food. I'm excited about this part of Jesus coming back. Um, I do long for the end of injustice, of course, yes, but I also look forward to that meal. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be tasty, and it's going to be true fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus. Um, Notice maybe perhaps lastly here with me uh, about our expectations being realigned is it also entails mission. Mission, verse 32. They say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? And then in verse 33 it says, and then they rose and they went and they told others You'll know that you've dined with Jesus when you go and tell somebody about the meal. You'll know that you've been with Jesus and experienced the meal when you can't help but just talk about it. We don't have to be great in talking about it. The power is not in the words that we select in talking about it. Uh, That's all the mission is, is that you and I simply taste and see that the Lord indeed is risen. And you go and you tell someone about it. That's, that's all the mission really is. That you commend your story of the resurrected Christ to someone else. And the last recommendation I would give with this is don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. Jesus shows up to us in community. By the way, I love the Greek word in all of these New Testament passages where it's, it basically says y'all. Once again, our expectations, when we think the Bible's written to us personally, it is. Don't get your feelings hurt. But the Greek word for you is y'all. Y'all are a family. Y'all are a community. You all are going through this together. The Greek word is a you plural. The Bible is written for you all of faith. You all followers of Jesus. Don't do this alone meaning the encouragement to get in the Scriptures, the the, the application there to, to, to search the Scriptures, get back into the story. Don't even do that alone. You may have your own quiet time, your own reflection time by yourself, you and Jesus, that's great. But take advantage of meeting up with someone to discuss these things just like these disciples were doing on their way to Emmaus. Talk it out, discuss it, as well as sharing your faith or sharing your story with someone. I mean, this is seriously done in a small group setting. This is done over a meal with someone, with you and your friend who are perhaps believers, with a friend of yours who's not a believer. Nothing obnoxious, nothing overkill, but as a team just as we were hearing testimonies earlier in our open mic time about how most of us, if not all of us, have been mothered by a team, a team of people. We are the church. we're We're to function, we're to operate as a team as we dive deeper into these scriptures together and as we learn the story, find our place in this story and begin to tell the story others, Let's pray right now. God, we pray that you would realign and reshape our expectations. And as we draw near right now to uh, the communion table and that time of confession, help us confess how our expectations of you are misguided and misaligned at times. Help us admit pride. Help us admit selfishness. Help us admit our love for control. Help us admit our love of depending on ourselves. And then we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us repentance, that we would turn from that and embrace you and rely on you and trust you as the only one competent to lead us and guide us. We pray this in your name, King Jesus. Amen.